0: Welcome to this episode of Turdy for Turdy. Make sure to let us know how we're doing. You know, or or don't if you don't think we're doing good. You can you cannot say that. Uh, you can either email us at TFTpod2018 at gmail.com or hit us up on uh Twitter at uh turdy for turdy and um let's get ready to roll.
1: Welcome to Turdy for Turdy. It's Andrew. That was Maher talking into your ear holes at the beginning, and he's about to talk right now. Hi. There he is. Uh, The podcast where we do a little bit of talking about some sports history. Last episode, I know we did kind of some current events, which was a little different, but baby, we're going back to the good stuff.
0: Hey, are you... um you know what I noticed afterwards? I think someone stole stealing our, our ideas. Um, did you see that? Um, I forget what podcast it was, but it's one of the ones we listened to. I'm, uh, I think it was um, last podcast on the left. They were talking about or they mentioned the dart thing. After we had already posted our other episode. Or somebody mentioned the dart thing. I don't know what it was. It wasn't I us. mean, it was
1: It was a story that got a little bit of coverage, but not a lot. So somebody was reading some obscure news, whoever you were listening to.
0: I mean, I, I literally have only been listening to, like, three podcasts lately. Not this one. I mean, yeah, I totally listened to this one. I mean, uh, it was probably last, last podcast on the left because I've been listening to that one a lot.
1: It's a good one. It's a very very good podcast. My goal we are advertising for yeah. another podcast on well, here right my now. My goal I just is to that. figure
0: out how to be a serial killer. From from, I mean, I, no, I uh, what?
1: How oh. what? So uh, today's theme—I think you're going to enjoy it. I think it's going to piss you off, but I think we're going to have a good time. It's it came. From Came from a conversation we had last week, and I was like, you know what? I know a little bit about that, but I don't know the whole story. You know, which is usually how most of these start. Anyway, that's nothing new. Is
0: is we talk so much that I honestly like in my head, I know I should be like, you know, going back to this conversation, but I I am drawing a blank. So I'm going to be utterly surprised whenever you say it.
1: All right. Well, let's get into it. Today's episode begins right in the beginning of World War II for the United States. Not for everybody else, but for the United States. And that is the year 1942. The top song was White Christmas by Bing Crosby, which is fitting since it's December.
0: Well, you know, it was World War II, so there was a lot of, you know, it it was good to be white. I mean, what?
1: Well, that song. This, let's go on a side tangent, but that song. I think the reason why it was so popular is because it was so like cheery, but also kind of had like this sad vibe to it. It really went well with the whole like backdrop of war. Like,
0: well, yeah. I mean, that was the, the
1: whole idea of I'm dreaming for of a white Christmas, and like that was. If you th- go to war and hear that song, you're gonna you're gonna cry. You're gonna need the Kleenex.
0: Yeah, that was a pretty messed up war. It makes I, I feel like that song, like you're saying, is, is, like, I guess surreal enough to where you're not thinking about, you know, the fact that, like, a certain country or group of countries is committing genocide on a particular group of people.
1: True. It just, yeah, it's just one of those. It's always interesting to see, like, what music comes out at what time because you can always kind of get a sense of what, made the music go that direction like all the rock music during Vietnam and you know everything has a everything has its time and place to
0: be fair all of the rock songs that came out during Vietnam were so very obviously about Vietnam yeah yeah especially the credence and I love credence but it was oh, it was man. very obviously that's what they were talking about
1: what song popped into your head when i said vietnam and music
0: uh probably Fortunate son. Um, Bingo. That's yeah. exactly
1: what I'm singing in my head right now <laughs> as I talk.
0: I that's a hundred percent because of the amount it was in like Vietnam type movies.
1: Dude, every Vietnam movie, you they're like show a they'll show a helicopter going up and all of a sudden you hear me it
0: <laughs> It's either that or the other one they play in Force Gump that I can't remember. I don't think it's a credence song, but you know what I'm talking about? Um, where they're like I don't know what it is. I either think of that or Who Will Stop the, the Rain or whatever it is. But
1: Yeah, I I think I know what song you're talking about, but it's escaping me.
0: They play that one a bunch, too. The the one they play in the Forrest Gump helicopter thing where they're at the base.
1: Oh, my God. Okay, uh, we're recording a podcast, so we can't sit there and try to think of the song because it'll be like 10 minutes. Uh, the best picture uh, for that year, 1942, back to the story. Was how green was my valley? Never seen that.
0: Sounds like a dirty
1: movie. <laughs> Yo, how green is your valley? Uh, wink, wink.
0: Well, yeah, it's not asking how um, brown is your valley. No, that sounds gross. This one's nasty.
1: <laughs> how brown is your valley? Yeah, that now that sounds bad. <laughs> Jarrell Wayne Jones was born on October thirteenth, nineteen forty-two, in Los Angeles, California. To Pat and Armanita Jones.
0: Drill? His name is Drill? Drill. -er Jarrell. Are you saying Drill or -er Jarrell? Jarrell. Okay, because the first two times you said it, I thought you were saying Drill, like, you know, Drill Bit Taylor kind of thing. No,
1: -er Jarrell. J-E-R-R-E-L.
0: I want to take a vote. You can email us. If you thought he was legitimately saying Drill the first two times, please send us a thing saying, yo, that dude was saying Drill so I can feel better about myself.
1: Drill Jones sounds like a badass name.
0: Or like a porn name.
1: (laughs) Uh, The young family moved to Little Rock, Arkansas in 1945. Pat owned two branches of his grocery store, and Jarrell, also known as Jerry, became a star running back at North Little Rock High School. Ooh. After Jerry graduated in 1960, his parents moved to Springfield, Missouri for an opportunity that would end up being one in a million. Pat became president and chairman of Modern Security Life Insurance Company assets, uh, and assets for the com- the company went from $440,000 to $6 million within their first bank statement.
0: Wow, that's... Um- that's a lot of money there
1: in nineteen sixty
0: yeah, no, that's like a billion dollars. Don't check the inflation rate, but that's that's a so, lot of money
1: We've got a guy named Jerry Jones with a family that just got rich overnight. I wonder where this is going
0: wait oh you you poop face <laughs> you 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 poop face also jerry's jones's name is Jarrell. I thought we <laughs> yes. were this is i I don't want to say that what I was going to say because it's going to sound racist but i was not expecting it to be jerry jones is all i'm gonna say yeah
1: no i knew you didn't know who it was yet
0: (laughs) you should have just kept talking without actually saying it because you ruined you you ruined it
1: oh no we got more to go all right jerry stayed to go to the university of arkansas where he excelled as an offensive lineman for frank Broyles. they even won a national championship in 1964 He had some famous teammates like Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer.
0: Oh wait, Switzer or Switzer? I think it's It's, Switzer. Yeah, it's Switzer. I didn't sound right when I said it. He was on the same team as uh, Jimmy Johnson? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that explains some stuff.
1: And Barry Switzer. That also explains some stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, On a side note, Did you know that Jerry uh, is one of the only owners to actually have, like, a successful playing career in football, like college or pro? I mean, most of these guys never actually played the game.
0: I mean, yeah, because it costs money to have a team, so you usually um, don't do both, you know? Uh, The only
1: other one that ever had, like, a really decent playing career was Jerry Richardson, the guy that likes – uh, jeans Fridays for the Panthers.
0: I mean, it, it all makes sense. I mean, the well, the the that part makes sense because he's an old, dirty man. But, um, you know, you can make a lot of money as a player. You didn't make a lot of money as a player back then. But um, you could definitely make way more money if you were a businessman. Like, not that many athletes are able to, like, have a successful playing career and, you know, shack it up and invest in all this other stuff to where you end up just making, you know, more money than – you know, Kazam.
1: Yeah, it also helped Jerry that his family also got like rich overnight, so Yeah. He had the luxury of being able to do that.
0: Yeah. Um and I, Although we'll talk a little yeah, bit more about I, I his dad wanna,
1: and it's not it's not exactly what you think.
0: Yeah, well I actually I watched that Joe Buck interview series and one of the best episodes I saw was the one with Jerry Jones, so I know a little bit about his life, but it was all told from the perspective of Jerry Jones, so It might be 100% Uh, different than what you're saying.
1: So Jones graduated from Arkansas in 1965 and began to work on his very first business. He borrowed around a million dollars from Jimmy Hoffa's Teamsters to open a chain of pizza places in Missouri called Shakey's Pizza Parlor.
0: What could go wrong?
1: (laughs) Jerry had other plans than just running pizza restaurants. He wanted into the football business. For most 23-year-olds, this would seem impossible, but not for our friend Jerry. The American Football League was just starting out, and that was his target. He had a net worth of about $0, so the only way he could get money to buy a team was to borrow it.
0: I really enjoyed that buildup of a net worth of $0.
1: So Jones flew all over the country collecting promises and borrowing all while trying to keep his father out of the loop. His father, which I think I mentioned it later, but I'll just say it here too, his father was would be very against this scheme if he knew about it because his dad was very like, no, you work a 9-to-5 job, you don't do anything stupid, and he would consider buying a football team to be like the epitome of stupid. And we'll get to why in a second. Jerry loitered in hotels where league meetings for both the AFL and NFL were taking place... Just for the opportunity to meet some of the owners and find an in. Eventually, Jerry heard that Joe Robbie had agreed to buy an AFL uh, team in Miami, and was looking for partners. Jerry flew down to Miami to meet Robbie about getting in, but ended up just moving furniture into the team's office. <laughs> um, so he showed what? up. He's like, "Hey, hey, I want to get in on this whole team you got going." They're like. Yeah, we'll talk about that after you help us get this couch in the new office. Now was like okay
0: now I'm imagining him like moving furniture in like a, a suit. And I don't <laughs> imagine him any younger too. So I'm imagining this like You're like imagining
1: old Jerry yeah. that's somehow twenty three but looks the same as he does now.
0: Yeah, like you know, talking in the parlance of of the time and, you know, um yeah, lifting stuff in his ridiculous suits and talking terrible football knowledge. That's someone who watches And lives. football should have way better football knowledge than they do.
1: So, Robbie liked that the kid would work and offered Jerry a small minority stake in the team. Jones declined. He was only looking for a role where he had some sort of control. So, this man goes down to Miami to meet with a guy that just bought a team. And he's like, "Hey, I want to get in," and the guy's like, "Okay, help us move this furniture. I'll give you a little piece of it. Like, you can get a little piece of the pie." And he's like, "No, I want to be your general manager." And that guy's like, "I don't know you. Why would I say yes to that?"
0: Yeah, I um, I mean, I to be honest, I didn't realize that he had a football career. Um, because they don't really ever talk about that. But um, yeah, that's yeah, no, you, that's stupid. Like, back then, it was definitely all about who you know. You couldn't just show up with your resume and be like, hey, I played, you know, at the University of Arkansas, Pig Suey, and uh, I want to be your general manager. I imagine that's how he talked.
1: I'm going to be your general manager.
0: Throwing in casual Pig Sueys. <laughs> Is that where he went? He that's went why, to Arkansas?
1: yeah, yeah. That's why his family. So that's why a And M plays Arkansas in AT and T Stadium every year. He's the reason why that game happens there every year. I'd like it's a they, gigantic well, ode to Jerry Jones, and they, they get beat there every year, and it's awesome. And I love it.
0: Didn't they used to play in the Cotton Bowl though, like back in the day?
1: Well, back in the like because they played. Yeah, they played the when 80s. they were.
0: Didn't they play when they were in the big a And M was in the Big Twelve too?
1: No, they they didn't. They did the last year. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, that's why the that's why Arkansas always has that big game in Dallas. It's all for Jerry. That's actually why Arkansas like two years ago did those Cowboys inspired jerseys that were just like the Cowboys jerseys but Arkansas colors.
0: Oh, I think I remember that one now.
1: That was all a giant like we love you, Jerry type thing. Well he and his grandson's the going there too.
0: And his, oh wow. Yeah, I yeah. Like, you can tell he earned his spot on that team, probably.
1: Yeah, his uh, the grandson's actually really good, though. That's oh. a story for another day. But he's he uh, plays in Dallas, and after we get done to look him up, he's actually he's good. Like, it makes sense that he would get a decent team. Not that Arkansas is decent, but, I mean, at least a big school. So, after Miami was out of the question, Jerry set his sights on the San Diego Chargers their owner Baron Hilton was looking to sell Hilton was more worried about keeping his hotel chain at the quality expected and had lost interest in the football team that was bleeding money out of his pocket. Uh, And at that time I was reading at that time, almost every football team was losing money or around, around the start. Like it just, they hadn't figured out a way for it to make money and be sustainable.
0: Yeah. um, I was actually thinking about that when you're talking and like, I realized he didn't pay that much. I don't think he paid that much for the team when he bought it. But, like, when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, that probably was not a good investment, which I think is what you were getting as why his dad would have gone for it.
1: Oh boy, you don't even know. I can't wait till we get to that part because on paper it's one of the worst investments of all but, time. But
0: from what we talked about with the USFL, like it's one of those kind of things where you're, you're really it's not that popular yet. There's not a lot of money making revenue out it's there. It's just yet. the TV.
1: Like you can't have the TV rights you have now because cable and all that didn't exist like yeah. it does today. There was so like it was very four, hard.
0: four channels.
1: Uh, Jones offered Hilton $5.8 million for the Chargers, and that included his pizza money from the Teamsters, with a million-dollar line of credit at their first meeting to begin negotiations. So he took the money that he borrowed from for Shakey's Pizza, which was the million dollars, and used that as a line of credit to show Hilton that he had the money to buy the team.
0: Did he ever actually open this pizza place, or did he just basically like con Jimmy Hoffa out of money?
1: Yeah, I think he was planning on it, and then he just changed. It was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a football team instead of this stupid pizza parlor. Sorry, Jimmy.
0: I mean, that sounds like a you know that sounds good, like good investment. You know, I'm mean, instead of getting something that could last for a long time and franchise and make a bunch of money, I'm going to buy something that's currently not making any money.
1: Exactly. I'm sure Jimmy Hoffa was really happy about that.
0: He'd roll over in his grave, wherever it is. Wherever
1: that may be. Uh, Hilton was happy with the offer of $5.8 million, so Jones took the time to meet with the biggest owners in the AFL to ensure that he would be approved as an owner. The owner with the most power in the league at that time was Lamar Hunt, who owned the Chiefs. The two met for lunch in the Kansas City airport, where Hunt told Jones that he was impressed that a man of his age had already had that much success, Jerry looked at Lamar straight in the eye and told him, "Oh, I didn't make any money.
0: <laughs> wait what, Hunt- what? Why? why would you say that? Like he had them all conned.
1: He's an honest guy
0: who's currently he- like in debt to the mob." <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's, so he's like the
0: and guy's the like, "Damn, notorious- you got
1: five point eight million dollars to buy a football team? And you're twenty three. That's impressive." He's like, "Actually, I got nothing. I'm actually in debt about a million dollars." Yeah,
0: and to like one of the most like notorious gangsters of all time.
1: You mean Teamster or we were Teamsters, Teamsters? Whatever
0: he was. <laughs> yeah, I've never even heard the te- the Teamster Gamster, gangster. It's I got a stir in it.
1: Before Hunt could even get up and run from this guy, laugh or ask what in the hell he was talking about, Jones promised that it was no big deal. He'd he'd get the money and get it on time. In a recent interview, Jones said, the thing I could do better than anything back then was borrow money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to be fair, like, borrowing money is hard. You have to have a way to back up that you could theoretically pay it off.
1: No, that's a talent. The fact that he's honestly sitting here and saying, you know what I was really good at when I was younger is swindling rich people out of their money. Like, that's an impressive talent. You got to give him credit. Uh, The news of Jerry wanting to buy the Chargers began to get more and more attention. Little Rock newspapers began to print stories with titles like Jerry to buy a team or a former Razorback guard and fullback to meet with Baron Hilton.
0: I While really current- love that, that the Hilton's name is Baron. And, you Oh know, yeah, it's I, ridiculous. I think I'm assuming he's like the, the grandfather of the current um, Hilton's.
1: I think so.
0: I think if, I don't know if he's alive or not, but I'm pretty sure he was really excited about, you know, his grandchildren or great grandchildren. <laughs>
1: So, uh, while current Jerry seems to love the spotlight, this attention had an adverse effect on his plan. News had spread back to his father, Pat, who was not a fan of Jerry buying the Chargers. When Jones got home from his meeting, Pat sat him down and gave him a lesson on balance sheets. He also scolded Jerry for wanting to get into a business that usually lost more money than it made.
0: Who's laughing now?
1: Oh yeah, but he had a point at the time. Like, I'll give the dad credit. Like, you idiot, why are you borrowing five million dollars that you're gonna lose?
0: I mean, that is theoretically, you ha- if you're not making any money, how are you going to pay back money?
1: Yeah, it was a question he'd worry about another day. So Jerry was fifty k short of buying the exclusive negotiation rights of the Chargers. That would have given him about three months to get the rest of the money. His father was not interested in giving him a gift or a loan to help him live out his dream. In fact, Pat Jones told members of the media that his son would never amount to anything because he was obsessed with pro football.
0: <laughs> that's some you know that's some good fatherly love right there. Yeah, so he was going
1: out to the news and be like, My son's a dickhead. Don't listen to him.
0: It's one thing for you to like for your dad to say I'm disappointed with you, but to go out of his way to tell the media that he's disappointed with you. You know, I think I would just crawl in a hole and, like, you know, die.
1: (laughs) In the end, Jerry withdrew his offer to buy the Chargers and stopped the wild chase of getting a football team to go sell insurance with his father. Two months later, the Chargers sold to a used car salesman and movie theater owner named Eugene Klein. The price tag was $10 million. Wow,
0: okay, so, you know... the. You know, Mr. Hilton there made some money.
1: Yeah, and Jerry made a huge mistake because that means that his investment would have doubled within like six
0: months. Well, I mean, what, like it just gone and immediately sold them after the fact?
1: It was about six months after Jerry offered 5.8. All of a sudden, things started kind of spiking and trending upward, and it sold for $10 million. Wow. So Jerry's father was incredibly wrong about saying a football team cannot grow in value. Jerry recognized that and would wait for the next opportunity whenever it was. What Jerry didn't know was that the pro football landscape was about to change forever. And this is the reason why it went up in value.
0: I like how you did that, like, ominous, like, totally like this was a real documentary type thing. Like,
1: yeah, <laughs> and, I don't know. I don't yeah. know why I typed it like that, actually. I was like, that was kind of a weird little segue, but it works.
0: I felt like I was watching a real 30 for 30, but with my ears.
1: So while Jerry was chasing the Chargers, Lamar Hunt and Tech Schramm were meeting in secret to discuss a possible merger between the NFL and AFL. In all of Jerry's meetings with owners not one of them showed their hand about this possible deal. In fact, Hunt had said before that he would make this an economic war between the two leagues. At first, the two leagues were competitors but they weren't very competitive. The AFL was made up of owners that had been told no by the NFL and decided to do their own thing.
0: You know, that's the you know that that's how you make it successful competitors. You just feel it with the the failures of of another you know, yeah, league. so a lot of these
1: guys had gone to the NFL and been like, I want a team, I want to expand. And they're like, nah, we're good where we're at. Uh, the AFL offered a more exciting brand of football that was a little more high flying and pass driven. Uh, this was supposed this was the way they wanted it to be because it was a direct contrast to the NFL's focus on defense and the run game. So their plan was like, we're gonna put a different product out that way people will watch it because it's a different type of football. Kind of what the XFL tried to do, but this was actually successful.
0: Well, because they had some talented people in it and not, like, guys who were, you know, working at a car wash the week before.
1: Yeah, it started out pretty weak, but then after a few years, the two began to compete for fans and players. In 1965, the AFL, and specifically the Jets, lured Joe Namath away from the NFL draft for the AFL draft instead. Shortly after, he received the biggest contract in pro football history. And that was the moment the NFL was like, okay, we got to do something.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense, but like, it's just funny imagining the Jets were the one throwing around money back then when now they're like, you know, falling apart.
1: Yeah, they were. Uh, I mean, they were a pretty storied franchise through the first couple of years of the NFL, or the first couple of years they were in the NFL. Uh, the NFL then broke an unspoken agreement of not luring players away from each other's leagues. The Giants signed a place kicker that had previously been playing for the Bills. So you get this war going on, like the AFL gets Joe Namath, and then the NFL's like, "Screw it," and starts signing people away from the AFL. And if you're an owner of a team, you would see very quickly that this could be a problem because if it keeps going, there's no stopping whatever could happen there. Like teams could just be going wild and just throwing money at other players and go broke.
0: Well, I mean, it is kind of funny though cuz I don't know. It's it's one of those things like are you only like that doesn't make sense that you're only allowed to hire a player that's like an in the NFL or in the AFL to be on your team. If like there's a guy who actually like is at the end of his contract or something, and you want him, why can't? You? That's just stupid, right there.
1: Well, they didn't want to get in a bidding war for players and coaches and basically fans. So the owners of both leagues realized that they needed to push for a merger. In 1966, the NFL absorbed all of the AFL teams, which was kind of a weird move because if you rem- – I mean, I don't know if you know this, but the NBA, when they absorbed the ABA, they only kept a couple of teams. Like, usually you didn't take the whole league in, but the NFL took the whole league in.
0: That is interesting. I mean, I we only talk about the big teams, but I'm – you know, I'm sure – I don't know. I'm not that great on the history, but I'm sure there was a couple teams that were kind of like, eh, and they probably moved since then, but –
1: um, I mean, most of the AFL teams are still pretty big. The Oilers aren't around anymore. Well, they technically
0: um, exist because Houston's – I mean, not Houston because Tennessee's a bunch of assholes. Well,
1: true. Yeah. They can always bust those jerseys back out when they want.
0: I, I hate them. I mean, I, I understand how franchise works, but, like, whatever. Like, no one gives a crap about oil in Tennessee. I mean, but I guess there's not a lot of Titans in Tennessee either.
1: So uh, once the AFL joined the NFL, they split into two separate conferences with most of the AFL being in one conference and then most of the NFL being in the other conference. Later, they would kind of mix and match to where we're at now. Um, this was the beginning of the Super Bowl era. The NFL's Packers easily handled the AFL's Chiefs in the first two Super Bowls. But in Super Bowl three, Joe Namath led the Jets to a title, and that began the great parody that we see in the NFL today. So once the Jets won that Super Bowl Super Bowl 3, it was kind of like the AFL arrived, and players started going over towards like, to the teams that were in the AFL, and that started growing both. They're their part of the, the league. After the Chargers saga, Jerry went back to the University of Arkansas and completed his master's in business. He tried to start a few businesses, but none were very successful.
0: What about the pizza place? I need some Shakey's pizza.
1: Nah, Shakey's never panned out.
0: You know, I—I I don't some. know. I
1: never did find what he did with that money, though. After all, I always wondered that. Like, what happened with Jimmy Hoffa's million?
0: Well, I mean, maybe he killed Jimmy Hoffa.
1: There we go. He's under. He he's under the, the
0: original Cowboy Stadium, or in Arkansas somewhere.
1: Probably in Arkansas. Uh, Jones finally hit big with an oil and g- gas exploration company. Joins Oil and Land Lease. Joins? Jones. Jones Oil and Land Lease.
0: I was like, did he buy a company that just happened to have a very similar name to his? And he's like, I own a, the Joins Oil Company. He's like, why don't you just change it to Jones? No, it's Joins. <laughs> it's Joins.
1: Uh, his oil company spread rapidly throughout the western U.S. and even into Canada. Yeah. For the next two decades, Jones ran a very lucrative business. This allowed Jerry to get back to pursuing a lifelong dream of his—owning a football team.
0: Oh, I thought it was gonna be opening a pizzeria.
1: No, not Shakey's. Forget about Shakey's. It's nothing. Well, can can it's I garbage.
0: like? Can I like jump around? What if he put like he just you just were randomly like I'm I'm gonna be looking for this forever when I'm driving around Dallas. I just want to see a Shakey's pizza. Like, if there's a Shakey's Pizza and you find out, like, and I find out later it's so owned by Jerry Jones, I'm just probably, like, driving to a telephone pole and die happy. Like, or they should just have a random concession stand, like, in the stadium called Shakey's Pizza. I would probably lose my shit.
1: That would be pretty funny.
0: I'm sure he doesn't even remember Shakey's Pizza, but. Oh, yeah, I'm
1: sure that's, like, it, way gone out of his memory. Yeah, no,
0: he probably, it's probably like that one, you know, the time you decide you have to have this one particular thing. So then you go and you like, you know, buy this and then you don't use it. Like, I I mean, I've made a bunch of purchases like that. Nothing that was, you know, like borrowing a million dollars from a Teamster. But, you know, spending $200 on a CD carousel that I is sitting in my room at home for like 10 years and I refused to move to me because it's like, what the hell? Like no one uses CDs anymore. Great purchase, great per- purchase on your part sharper image got me. I saved up money on that that was you know I bought that myself back that when I didn't big have a job deal. yeah, no, it was exciting, you know I was pretty stupid. I am still pretty stupid, so you know
1: so in nineteen eighty nine the Cowboys, a once very successful franchise, had hit pretty close to rock bottom. They were losing about a million dollars a month.
0: Wow, that's, um, that's like Nick Cage-level like despair right there.
1: Yeah. Cowboys owner H.R. Bright was ready to sell, and Jerry was ready to come in and buy. Jones paid $140 million for the Cowboys franchise, the most that anyone had ever spent on a team. To do this, he had to borrow money at 11% interest. That means that when he first took over, it was costing him about $4 million a month to keep the lights on.
0: Dang. Wait, so he bought the team... I know this is going to sound stupid, but I've always, in my head, thought he owned the team longer. And also, I thought he bought it for cheaper.
1: No, he's had the team since 1989, and he spent $140 million.
0: Man, that's... You know what's... I mean, I know you're probably going to mention it later, but Dane, talk about, like... That number just seems super cheap now compared to like the fact that you know basketball teams have sold for like two billion dollars, and then I don't know how much did the Panthers sell for a lot of money?
1: Yeah, definitely more than a hundred and forty million. The fact that like they were losing four million a month when you add in his loan that he had to take out is just insane. That's so much money.
0: Yeah, so wait, so he was still, so he, he had to prove he had this money, which he probably had a lot more money now since he had the, the oil company.
1: Yeah, he had the money, but he also had to borrow a some because, I mean, it's $140 million for the team, but then there's other stuff you had to pay, like contracts and all that, so it, he had to borrow a little bit. Uh, and the year that he bought the team, they had a 3-13 and record, so he was not buying a successful Cowboys team.
0: I mean, you never buy successful teams unless, you know, the owner gets fired for being a racist or, you know, sexually assaulting people.
1: Or that usually just happens on an unsuccessful team like the Clippers.
0: Clippers, like, were doing somewhat good. They always trick you by starting out the season good or, like, just, you know, making the playoffs and then, like, losing immediately kind of thing. But they weren't awful.
1: Uh, so Jones was not very popular when he first took over. One of his first moves as owner was to fire Tom Landry.
0: Oh, and, you know, there's, I don't see what controversy you could happen with that.
1: Here's the part that blows my mind, though. As I was like researching this, I found out that H.R. Bright, the owner before Jerry, actually said, "Like, hey, if you don't want Landry to be your coach, I will fire him and take the heat for it, and then you can buy the team and start over." And Jerry's like, "Nah, I can do it."
0: Okay, I um I would totally have taken that man up on the offer if I decided I didn't want Tom Landry, which I mean that was towards the end of Landry's career anyway though, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: dude, he was way out of his yeah. league at this point. Like it, he had every right to fire Tom Landry. That was not a bad choice.
0: Yeah, I um I think I would have taken up that guy, because people are stupid and they'd be like, No, we need to keep him. He was good once and it's like, nah, we need a we need a we need a new new direction.
1: I think, I honestly, I honest to God, I think that the reason he didn't take him up on that offer is because he saw it as a power move. He wanted to come in and, like, put the fist down and be like, get out of here, Tom, and show that he was in charge.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. I mean, what we're both saying makes sense, but personally, I would pick pick other ways to show charge.
1: For sure. I would never have done that. I would have been like, Yeah, you fire him.
0: Like I would have bl- all the blame on the Hilton guy, or I mean not Hilton, but whoever the, the HR, HR Hul- Bright the HR Puffin stuff that got rid of the team and you know and then when I hired a new coach and they were successful, I would take all that glory and I'd use that as a power move.
1: So anyway, needless to say it didn't go over very well with fans who love Tom Landry.
0: Cowboys fans are stupid too.
1: He was uh Jerry Jones was accused of nepotism because his next move was to hire former teammate and friend, Jimmy Johnson, as the replacement.
0: Um wait, so you're telling me okay, so I thought like maybe he had hated Jimmy Johnson is why he fired him later well, than we'll he did. Well we'll get to that, but, but when he hired
1: him, they were friends. Okay. Like they had been teammates.
0: Um I mean, but just because you're teammates with somebody doesn't mean you're you're friends.
1: So next uh Jones decided to fire a long general manager and NFL legend tech Schramm, And he hired himself as the replacement.
0: That's obviously a good move. Um, well, I mean, It really, it,
1: made- it shouldn't surprise us since he was like wanting to be a general manager of football teams since the sixties. So I was like, okay, that made sense. He was just, he was going to do that to any team that he ended up on.
0: I mean, yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense. Like, I mean, I feel like if all you wanted to do is be a general manager, maybe you, like, try to do that without owning a whole team. But, you know, he owns a team, so, you know, he can do whatever he wants. If he wants to drive his own team in the ground, you know, that's his prerogative. He's still making bank.
1: Jerry's first season in 1989 as the owner was bad. The Cowboys finished 1-15 that year. And then uh, in the draft, they selected Troy Aikman in the first round.
0: What a terrible pick. That guy's a jump.
1: Oh, wait. You're about to lose it because there is a terrible pick in this draft. Uh, In one of the first bizarre decisions that Jerry made as an owner, they also drafted Steve Walsh from Miami, a quarterback, in the supplemental draft. Because they took him in the first round of the supplemental draft, that means that the Cowboys had to give up their first-round pick in the 1990 draft. So they took Troy Aikman in the 89 regular NFL draft, and then they took another quarterback, Steve Walsh, in the supplemental draft that happens afterwards, and because they did that, they lost a first-round pick the next year. So they basically spent two of their, their... 1989 and 1990 first-round picks on a quarterback on both of them. Um,
0: that's stupid considering, like, he wouldn't have even played in the meantime. And if they decided that he wasn't going to work out, they could have gotten a free agent instead of wasting a pick when they obviously needed several players.
1: So I think this is more Jimmy Johnson's fault than Jerry's because Walsh was a 23-1 and one at Miami when Jimmy Johnson was coach. And I think he just oh. thought, like, I can get my guy to be better than Troy Aikman. But still, if you're Jerry Jones, like, why would you agree to do that? It's such a waste.
0: Oh, that's probably what led to Rocky Roads later on.
1: So Aikman ended up winning the job, of course. But he broke his index finger and was out from weeks four to nine. Steve Walsh had to start in his place and got them their only win of the season.
0: Oh, you know, so Troy Kuhn was a chump. You know, maybe maybe Jimmy was right, you know?
1: Yeah, I know. That's what I was like, ooh, that didn't make sense. I was like, well,
0: Okay. Was that like, you know, after Troy Aikman like, stepped in, you know, radioactive fluid and his head grew like 10 times larger than a normal sized person's head? And that's where he got enough intellect to make him be a decent quarterback, but it still made him stupid so that he says a bunch of annoying crap when he talks I think on the, TV for four hours. I think hours the at first that
1: concussion that he probably got in that season gave him the superpowers that made him a good quarterback uh, okay. after.
0: Yeah, he lost his ability to function as a human, but, you know, he learned how to play football real good.
1: So this was also the year that Jerry traded Herschel Walker to the Vikings and got an assortment of draft picks. That was a good mood.
0: An accoutrement. Yeah, this is the one that led. Uh, I think this is the one that led to, like, all, Yeah, I was going to say him and someone else, but I can't remember who else it was.
1: So oh, I'll tell you in a second. So a little piece of information that I had never knew about that was that Jerry um, had to pay Herschel Walker $1.3 million to accept the trade. Okay. So that was how that happened. Like, Herschel Walker, of course, didn't want to be traded from the Cowboys because that's where he'd been playing, but Jerry was like, here's $1.3 million, and Herschel's like, okay, I'm going to play Minnesota.
0: Well, was Minnesota good at the time? Not very. I mean, they were better than 1-15. They were better
1: than 1-15, yeah. Um, so one of those picks would eventually become Emmett Smith, and another player that came out of that deal, and another player they drafted with those picks, was Darren Woodson.
0: Oh, I thought they got someone else in that one. Mm.
1: So um, in that nineteen in uh in that season, they yeah they ended up finishing one and fifteen in nineteen eighty eight when they had or nineteen eighty nine when they had Trey Aikman and Steve Walsh, and then the next year they would end up finishing 7-9, and nine, so it was an improvement.
0: Would you say they were akeman for a win?
1: Oh, they were definitely achemanning for a win. In 1990, Jerry started to make his presence known with the league's office and other owners. The league's TV deal was coming up, and the networks all said that they were strapped for cash and would have to lower how much they were paying the NFL to broadcast their games. They were trying to get the league to sign a deal that would um, would end up causing the league to lose money. In fact, they would lose about $8.5 million each year with the new deal that was being offered to them.
0: Man, you know, these new deals never work out. First FDRs, then this one.
1: So instead of just giving in and going with the deal that everyone wanted because all the owners were stupid, I was like, yeah, that's fine, I guess we'll just keep our TV deal... Jones brought in Fox to broadcast the NFC games.
0: I, I I enjoy a conversation where you say other owners were stupid and then praised the intellect of Jerry Jones.
1: Yeah, well, it, the, the title turned. But for right now, that was a smart move because he ended up, that previous network deal had been $1.4 billion, but then when he brought in Fox they ended up going up to 3.6 billion.
0: Oh, okay. You know, that's 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 pretty good money compared to not good money.
1: I mean, that you go from losing 8 million a year to doubling the value of your TV deal, that's a pretty pretty smart move.
0: Did Joe Buck call the games back then or was it like his great great grandfather or something? <laughs>
1: Uh, it was probably... Actually,
0: no, this was 89. I'm thinking this is older than it is. No, it was
1: probably... i think John Madden. I wonder if John Madden was there from the start. I'm assuming so, but... I John Madden is right. everywhere.
0: He just carries around his turducken and, you know, his, like, pointer... Turkey where leg, he, turkey where, leg, turkey leg. Where he ends up, like, circling half the screen trying to, like, draw a play.
1: Uh, going into the 1990 season, the one we were just talking about, Emmett Smith and Alexander Wright, who was a wide receiver, both held out for their rookie contracts, and it caused them to miss the first part of training camp. Jerry was pissed. He did not like rookie holdouts. Who, so Jerry?
0: He seems like a very reasonable guy that, you know, responds to people trying to strong arm him very well.
1: So, instead of strong arming, he came up with a very interesting plan going into the 1991 draft.
0: Uh, let's only you, draft them if they agree to take the deal before we, gra- we actually draft them. Well,
1: so before the draft, Jerry called agents to check on the signability of their prospects. Uh, he was seeing how willing they would be to play for the Cowboys. On the day of the draft, Jones sent operatives to the cities and towns that his draft targets lived in and told them to wait nearby the homes of these players.
0: Operative is a very strong word. I'm a picturing like I'm picturing, I don't know why, I'm picturing like ninjas, but instead of wearing their ninja outfits, they're wearing like cowboys like, you know, their like head thing is, is got like a star in the middle and it's blue and you know they got a white torso and like gray pants on.
1: So he had all these people in different cities and towns like just waiting around the corner from all the draft prospects that he wanted just sitting there chilling waiting for the call.
0: That's creepy, by the way. Oh um, yeah, it's very creepy. Like, I mean, are they they look like FBI agents just hanging around, or is it like some like scout in his like giant ass like early nineties polo collar hanging out in the street with his like white polo that's got like you know a stain and r- right around the belly button?
1: I have no idea, but I'm gonna guess it's probably the one you just talked about. Uh so when the Cowboys were on the clock, Jerry Jones called Jimmy Sexton, agent of Alvin Harper, and asked if they could get a deal done in the fifteen minutes allotted for the pick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> S- I imagine that conversation was goofy as shit.
1: Yeah, no. Sexton said that it would be tough to do, but he was like, I'll never say never. In the end Are the two re- sides struck James a deal. Bond movies now? Yeah, yeah, that's my plan. Moonraker. Uh, In the end, the two sides struck a deal of three years and $2.1 million with incentives.
0: In 15 minutes.
1: In 15 minutes, he got the deal done.
0: Also, I'd be really pissed off if I was, you know picking behind them and i'm like what the hell is taking so long what are they doing and then you find out they were negotiating like a whole contract and you're like this is that's even worse
1: (laughs) hey he didn't like holdouts so he was gonna get that dude's signature so i'm imagining that he probably had like faxed that over to those operatives like shortly after they made the pick and had that guy sign it that day
0: i mean i'm sure he, he might have even made him sign it like as, or at, or like, this the
1: fat scout just busted into Alvin Harper's house with a gun and pointed at his head like, Take the deal, take the deal Okay, okay, we'll sign. I'm a cowboy.
0: Oh man, what if he had the cowboys operative dressed up as cowboys and they had like six six shooters and like ten gallon hats and like <laughs> Well, Sonny,
1: I imagine you're gonna take this the, deal.
0: Kick down the door and, you know, walked in with the spurs and were like, Hey there, Sonny Jim.
1: All right, boy, I need you to sign right there on the line.
0: You need to sign. Agent, sign right
1: here. This is a binding contract. Let's spit on our hands and shake. Uh, So, in early interviews, like around this time, Jerry says that he and Jimmy made the decisions as a consensus. This led to very smart trades and packaging of picks. And a lot of times they were right on several of the shots they took in the draft.
0: This does not sound like the current Cowboys.
1: Jerry said, this is heart surgery for me. You don't have your friend operate on your heart unless he just happens to be the best there is. In making the commitment I made here, I tried to find the very best individual with whom I could go into the future of running the Cowboys. By the same token, my token my background is one of negotiating trading and selling that's what i've been doing for 30 years of course i wasn't in the football business but certainly the advantages that uh, johnson and i gained from having no politics and our proximity to each other is being able to get get it right on the field and in my view outweigh the disadvantages so to speak of not having a quote unquote seasoned football management person here
0: who the hell is this guy you were quoting because i i know for damn sure that ain't jerry jones it was jerry
1: they were just best buds running a football team together at this time
0: literally everything you said there is the least jerry jonesy sounding thing that, like, could possibly ever happen, like... Oh, yeah,
1: if my team had a personality like that where it's like, yeah, it's just me and my friend building a football team and doing it right, it'd be like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, this sounds really cool. It sounds like guys that figured out the system are like, you don't need all these people arguing. You just need two guys that see kind of the same way.
0: That, I mean, but this, like, the the, the quotes, the, the, it it just doesn't, it's like, what happened in 20 years...
1: So the 1991 season is also where the Cowboys' financial turnaround really kicked off. Jones said that one of the reasons they turned a profit was because they cut a lot of people out of the front office when he took over. Basically, we got less people doing more things, he said.
0: Oh, that, that works for, you know, that'll work forever.
1: This policy is to direct the dollars towards the playing field. Jones also moved the Cowboys' training camp to Austin And got sponsors to sponsor the camp. Um, This was much cheaper than going to California like they had been doing.
0: And that one makes actually a lot of sense.
1: He also found a new revenue stream from within the stadium. This is actually interesting. You'll enjoy
0: this. Stripper poles?
1: During this, yeah, that's the new stadium. No, this is old Texas State. During this time, the Irving area had an ordinance that said no establishment could sell alcohol if its profits were not from 60% food sales. Jerry filed a lawsuit against the ordinance, saying that it was a violation of Texas Alcohol and Beverage Commission regulations. In the end, to avoid a lawsuit, the city had a vote to exempt Texas Stadium from this rule, and when it passed, the lawsuit was dropped. The stadium, which had been dry for 20 years before that, could now serve alcohol.
0: Wait, so the rule was after 12 p.m. or 12 a.m.? Or was the... What was the rule again? I, it was I a dry. It
1: was a dry town. The Irving oh. was a dry town at the time, and if you if your sales, if the amount of money you oh, made yeah, wasn't from sixty percent food, 60% okay. food yeah. then you can serve alcohol. Which, while they sold a lot of food, most of their um, most of their profits are going to come from ticket sales, not food. So. Yeah. So, but it's amazing to me that. From like 60, no, 71 to 72 to 1991 or 92, the Cowboys stadium was dry.
0: Yeah, that's, um, I didn't know that. That's that's kind of absurd. And that's also a very Texasy sounding thing.
1: That was one of my favorite things I learned from this. I actually had never heard about that. I thought that was a really interesting. And of course, I didn't put it in there because it wasn't super exciting, but a lot of the The lawyers and the city council and all that and Irving hated Jerry Jones because of that they were so pissed that he was like trying to find a loophole to beat their system
0: but that makes I mean it's the same thing colleges are going through now trying to get to where they can sell alcohol like you know it's a lot of revenue and you know if you can have alcohol inside then it you know makes the environment safer because you don't have people trying to like you know chug a bunch of beers before they come in and then you know i just themselves. i
1: hate those dry rules like that they're so stupid just get with the times what are you doing
0: i don't understand the the laws that they still have in texas with dry counties and stuff it's it's just so old school i mean at least it's i i mean there's dry counties but man the the one in oklahoma with the percentages rule which i don't know i guess they don't have anymore but that yeah they got bre- rid of that that blew my mind like like you literally, every other state allows you to do it, and then this one state, like
1: the Bible Belt's got some weird alcohol. Rumors. Yeah,
0: no, it's weird. And then you go over to Louisiana, and it's like, yeah, you can, you know, go go through the drive-through and get daiquiris. But like, you go over to Texas, and there's probably like, you know, counties right along the 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 you know the east border there that are like dry.
1: You can buy Jack from like your friendly neighborhood store in Louisiana.
0: Yeah, I I, I miss that. Not to uh, Jack,
1: because Jack's nasty. Well, yeah, I don't like Jack either, so I I accept that. Overall, the 1991 season was very successful. It was the first year for Norv Turner and his offense that would later become very famous. The Cowboys finished 11-5 and and would go to the playoffs for the first time since 1985. They lost to the Lions, but they had a young nucleus on offense that shined every chance they got. The defense was also much improved, and many of the fans could see that good times were on the horizon.
0: Hey, can we talk about something in backtrack? So you said Norv Turner. Um, mm-hmm. Norv Turner's been a coordinator, offensive coordinator for 30 years. Yes. Was he ever a head coach?
1: Yes, with the Redskins.
0: Oh. How did that go?
1: Um, about like you think.
0: Okay, that's what I was thinking. And then he also
1: was the head coach for the Chargers for a while, and it had some ups and downs, but it also went about how you think. There's a reason he's kind of just stayed offensive coordinator now for that long.
0: My favorite thing about, like, Norv Turner now is everybody talking about how much of an offensive genius he is, which I don't necessarily disagree with, but then, like, you watch the game and his quarterback can't complete a pass, and then I just laugh hysterically.
1: He's out for the season now, so that makes a little more sense.
0: Well, you know, maybe they should have not played him in the first place, you know? Stop I just hitting. hate Cam Newton, you know. Stop
1: hating on Cam. We're not talking about. Oh, Cam. what's he we're gonna do? Come over here and steal
0: my laptop? Probably. Joke's on him. I don't have a laptop.
1: So I hate to do this to you, Maher, but this is a two-parter, and we're gonna have to find out next week if Cam Newton comes over and steals your laptop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm 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 gonna you know I'm gonna get me one of them ring doorbells that Shack is selling, and. You know, I'm just going to, like, sit there and watch it all day. And if he comes to try to steal it, I'm going to yell at him and be like, Hey, your Superman thing sucks. It looks like you're playing with your nipples.
1: That is true. I'll give you that. <laughs> it does look like he's playing with his nipples. I never thought about that. Well, I'm going to go ponder that and give it a drink of water and probably play with my own nipples. What are you going to do?
0: Um, the The same. Okay.
1: All right, we'll see y'all next week with part 2 of the history of Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. Thanks for thanks for stopping by.
0: Bye.